The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... What will participants in the ACB Legislative Seminar be discussing with Congress this year? Plus, learn more about the World Blind Union and progress toward accessible labels for prescription drugs. Welcome to ACB Reports for February 2013. On February 24th through 26th, members of the American Council of the Blind will participate in the annual legislative seminar. After presentations on relevant topics, participants will visit Capitol Hill to discuss these issues with their congressional delegations. Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, says there will be plenty to talk about this year. This year, we have two legislative imperatives. The first, the Medicare reimbursement issue, is one that folks have been really frustrated with for many, many years. And it is something that, unfortunately, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services doesn't really want to address through regulation. And uh, essentially, it needs to come through Capitol Hill and uh, the legislative process to be rectified. And you and I have talked extensively about that here on this program. Are we saying anything new about that to Congress this year? Essentially, what we're saying to Congress is... We understand from a fiscal standpoint where things are, but this time we're proposing a five-year demonstration project that will essentially give physicians, ophthalmologists, optometrists, the ability to prescribe upon the completion of a low vision exam, a low vision device, something that will meet their unique needs per their visual acuity and or condition. These particular devices that we're speaking of in the draft legislation would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 or more. So these aren't necessarily the 3X and 4X magnifiers that you would find at a pharmacy. These would be more heavy-duty, powerful devices such as video magnifiers, things that utilize a a power source. Screen enlargers. Exactly. What else do we need to say about that? It's a national demonstration project. That's what we're proposing, a five-year demonstration project, so that upon completion of the low vision exam and being prescribed this low vision device, they can actually get a device and begin to look at it and begin to figure out how to use it in their life, and it will promote greater amount of independence, and health and human services will be able to then track that and its usage, and then ultimately we can report back to Congress on it. The challenge that we've got is that there is a very small price tag in the grand scheme of things attached to it. It's about $12.5 million for the duration. Million, not billion. That is garnering some attention from folks on the Hill. Will the proposed project cover training for any of the low vision equipment that it may provide? Yes, there will be some training involved with that. This is our first, what I would characterize as a doable trial balloon. We want to have dialogue, and in fact, we've been meeting with folks on the Hill, and there is a fairly decent level of interest in this issue. It hasn't 
come to a head as yet as to whether this demonstration project is something that folks are going to be willing to get behind or if, in fact, there's another way to go about getting at this issue through some sort of a study or what have you. But this is our attempt, and I might add that this legislative draft was developed by a coalition of agencies, private agencies for the blind, that ACB put together starting in really the late summer, early fall of 2011. Let's talk now about the Ann Sullivan Macy Act. Give a brief history of that and uh, what we'll be telling Congress. This is essentially a bill that is a wish list on the behalf of those who work with blind students in schools, uh, administrators, and blind students themselves. To get into the specifics would take a long time, but IDEA doesn't say a tremendous amount about blind students per se. What we want is there to be an increased look at the unique needs that blind students have when they're going through the educational system, how they learn, how best the curriculum can be laid out in a way that is beneficial and enhances their learning capability. Also, those that are teaching and assisting the blind students, what sort of methodologies are they using? How can they be improved and or even held accountable for the level of service that they're providing, uh, education that they're providing. And then looking at the totality of the educational experience and are there ways for folks to better collaborate in the provision of these services. So the blind kids are getting the same level of good education as their sighted peers. There's going to be a lot more said about it. Oh, I bet. But, yeah, it's it's like a like I said, it's a wish list. Yeah, so many times a wish list is where things have to begin. Exactly. As far as the remainder of the legislative seminar itself, what else will be uh, happening there in terms of the program? We'll be covering the vehicle donation legislation that we've had the last couple of years. We'll be talking about the notice of proposed rulemaking that the Department of Transportation came out with with regard to hybrid and electric vehicles. And it's our intention to have a speaker from the Department of Transportation come and talk about that. We're going to have a speaker from the Federal Communications Commission come and talk about the continued implementation of the Communications and Video Accessibility Act, which you know is going to continue to be implemented for the coming years. Um, there's quite a bit going on with that. Also, the goings-on at the World Intellectual Property Organization as it pertains to the Treaty for the Visually Impaired. It deals with the provision of books and other publications in alternate formats and the ability for countries to share those publications. There's the potential to have some other speakers come and talk on uh, any number of issues, whether it's ADA complaints, through the Department of Justice, as well as other things that may pop up at the last minute because there always seems to be one or two that are hot-button issues that come Sort of out of nowhere. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Kind of keep the agenda fluid. As we record this on the 22nd of January, is there anything that you need to say about either vehicle donation or the proposed quiet car regulations? Nothing at this moment. You know, we're still 
formulating how we are going to respond to the notice of proposed rulemaking. And over the next couple weeks, we'll get a better sense as to when or if the vehicle donation legislation will be reintroduced, and if it is, by whom. So I know that there are efforts that are being undertaken right now to ensure that it is reintroduced before our legislative seminar, but that is still a fluid situation. Is there anything else? I just want to encourage folks to come. This year is one of those years where we have issues that are important but maybe not as sexy as we have had in years past. But that doesn't mean that these issues aren't every bit as vitally important to the blindness community as the issues that we've covered in previous years. And we've had a lot of success over the last three years, and and I'm very proud of that. These issues are ones that kind of get at the foundation of, in particular, the Insolvent Macy Act, um, getting a high-quality education. And uh, as we all know, getting a high-quality education is sort of the foundation for the success that you're going to have in life. We want folks to come that can really pitch in and help get the word out on the Hill, as well as with the Medicare low vision device. It's sort of a you know beginning of life and then later on in life as folks either lose whatever vision they have left or begin to lose it or age into blindness. That shouldn't mean that you need to go into an institution. And with this draft legislation, we want to see people be able to stay in their homes for as long as they can, remain independent and vibrant contributors. And uh, we feel like with this draft legislation, folks are going to have the opportunity or the ability to do that if they so choose. We've been speaking with Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Learn more about the ACB Legislative Seminar at acb.org or phone ACB at 800-424-8666. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. ACB President Mitch Pomerantz returned from the meeting of the World Blind Union in Thailand just in time to participate in a work group developing a best practices document for accessible labeling of prescription drugs. Mr. President, what occurs during a meeting of the World Blind Union? First of all, it's a wonderful opportunity to meet people from all over the world. There are delegations from 140 or so countries. They meet every four years, and uh, very much like at an ACB convention, resolutions are passed, policy decisions are made, and uh, there are presentations on various topics, um, activities that are going on in various parts of the world. Within the WBU, there are six regions, and so each of the regional presidents also makes a uh, presentation during the plenary session. So it really gives us an opportunity to hear um, what is going on and some of the initiatives that the World Blind Union is involved with. We had a complete turnover of the four elected leaders for our region, the North American Caribbean region. That happens every four years as well. 
And uh, for better or worse, I am now the regional vice president. We have a president, a vice president, and two at-large members. And the four of us from the six regions, as well as what they call the table officers, are part of the executive. So I am now one of the governing leaders of the World Wine Union. The table officers meet a couple different times throughout the quadrennium, the next four years. The full executive will meet one time between the uh, quadrennial meetings. What came out of the World Blind Union meeting this time? One of the initiatives was a resolution that came from the North American Caribbean region. When we met most recently in Washington, D.C., we passed a resolution that went on to the World Blind Union dealing with technology and doing more outreach to the manufacturers of technology pushing the idea of universal design. That was one of a dozen or more resolutions that got passed. There is an international employment initiative that started probably two years ago, and uh, we heard some discussion about that. WBU is really trying to look at and develop some solutions for finding useful employment for blind folks in other parts of the world who really have limited or no access to jobs. So they announced the launching of an employment website that will involve both audio and video and will focus on people around the world who are employed and offer ideas on the kinds of jobs blind people are doing in other parts of the world. But I know they want to focus really outside of the United States, and I understand that, because if we think our unemployment rate here is unconscionably high, well, it, it's uh, pretty severe in Africa and, and parts of Asia. Not really sure where they're going to be going with the transportation working group that I chaired for a couple of years they really need to add some more folks to participate in dealing with the hybrid car issue around the world as well as the issue of shared spaces. Shared spaces is a concept that luckily you see more in Europe than in the United States. Cars and bicycle riders and people share the same roadway. Sounds right. scary. It can be. When Donna and I were in uh, Toledo a year ago, we saw it firsthand. There were lots of times when we were in places where all of a sudden a car would be coming. Now, granted, they're not going 40 miles an hour, but they're still going rapidly enough that you want to make sure you're along a wall, a fence line or something. That's one of the issues, at least in my mind. It's a little up in the air as to whether WBU is going to take that on. This was the first time that our meeting was held in conjunction with the International Council for the Education of the Visually Impaired. So there were a number of workshops, and I suspect this is going to be a regular collaboration just because of the finances and, and the logistics. And it was, I think, a very useful opportunity for all of us. 
And I think it's kind of a synergistic activity because we're all involved in similar kinds of initiatives. Being the president of an organization from the United States and then experiencing firsthand the issues from other countries, there's certainly a lot of commonality and no doubt some issues in the other countries that, as you say, we aren't dealing with here yet or that we have perhaps dealt with already in the past. But it has to give you a somewhat fortified perspective in some ways and then challenge you in others. You know, there's an old expression, travel is broadening. And when uh, we took our first out-of-the-country trip about 10 years ago to South Africa, it was very apparent that things are very different in other parts of the world. And we've taken a couple of trips subsequently that has reemphasized that. And then when you go to this meeting, and what's really eye-opening is to get a chance to talk to folks from other parts of the world. We did that. We attended two or three receptions where we had the chance to meet folks from many, many other countries, and you really get a very unique perspective on how folks in other parts of the world live. And I think what it does is help you when you come back to the United States and you start dealing with the issues that we're addressing on a regular basis. I hope that it kind of broadens your scope of thinking. It gets you to say, yeah, this is a serious problem here, but it's not as serious as the situation in country X. So I think it really is a tremendous opportunity to gain some perspective, and maybe even to get some fresh ideas on how to deal with problems. Let's move now to something that is happening and is very important within the United States, accessible labeling of prescription drugs. This has been a goal and a priority for the American Council of the Blind for quite some time now, and uh, things are beginning to happen in that area. Talk about that. In mid-January, I and uh, a number of other folks were in Washington, D.C. to meet under the auspices of the United States Access Board. We were a working group on accessible prescription drug labeling. The working group was comprised of representatives from all of the uh, blindness and visual impairment uh, organizations, from the senior citizens community, from the broader disability community, as well as representatives from a number of the major chain pharmacies and industry representatives, folks from the trade associations representing uh, pharmacists. And we met for a day and a half at the U.S. Access Board. Our task was to begin to specify best practices in the provision of accessible drug labeling, then to begin to evaluate those various best practices. It shouldn't surprise anyone that we didn't finish the evaluation process. We made a good deal of progress, but the reality is that for, I think, many of the industry representatives. This was their first chance to really hear our concerns and our issues. 
I think the industry folks really had not heard our specific asks. You know, the need for Braille, the need for large print, and we were pretty specific. CCLVI has a best practices document that they put out, and so they were very specific on the parameters for accessible large print. And then, of course, we also promoted verbal material. And I brought to demonstrate a talking RX bottle that my own HMO provides for my prescriptions. There were actually four or five different demonstrations. And there was some contentiousness along the way because we want to have as many different options as possible. And, of course, the folks who are representing the industry, they'd like us to say, well, we only want one option or one type of accessible drug label. And, of course, from our perspective, that's not reality. There are blind people, visually impaired people, particularly older folks, who may be able to use large print. There are those who are going to want their drug labeling information verbalized. And then there are those who are going to want Braille. And what we're telling these folks is best practices means the broadest range of alternatives as possible. I thought it was useful. We heard their concerns. I hope they heard ours. And we're probably going to have uh, another meeting via teleconference sometime in the next uh, two to three weeks. What will come out of this ultimately, and uh, what's the timeline? The timeline is July, and what is supposed to come out is a best practices document. These are not regulations. These are not pharmacies. You have to do this. That wasn't what the legislation called for. But what is supposed to come out of all of this in July is a joint document that lists the various formats that we are recommending and the best methods for providing those formats, the details, you know, what those formats should look like. Those will then go to the various pharmacy chains and the independents and so on and so forth. And there will be a period of time by which those will be evaluated. You know, our ultimate goal, I think we can say pretty safely, is we'd like to see some regulation, some requirements down the road. But the first step is to provide those best practices to the pharmaceutical industry and their various pharmacies and HMOs and then evaluate how those are working and what's working and what isn't working. Do you anticipate having this document in time for the conference, or will it be waiting on your desk when you get home? That's a good question. I mean, if you had asked me that question a year ago about the guidelines for hybrid cars when the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration was supposed to release their document July 1st, I would have lost that bet because that document just came out So I'm not going to make any predictions. What I am (laughs) going to say, though, is that we're beginning to put the uh, 2013 uh, conference and convention program together. And I've already indicated that one of the items on the agenda will be a panel discussion of uh, those best practices. And whether or not we'll be in a position to announce that the document is out for 
public review or not, I don't know, but at least we'll be in a position to uh, talk about the process. And, of course, the document that ACB put together is now out. It's on the Access Board website, and it's on uh, the ACB website as well that lists what the American Council of the Blind believes are best practices for provision of accessible drug labeling information. As we uh, wrap up this recording, you're getting ready for the mid-year board meeting, uh, affiliate president's meeting, and legislative seminar. Uh, you have anything you want to say about the uh, president's meeting? I've just posted the topics for the president's meeting. And again, the hope is to have a mix of topics that will help affiliate leaders run their affiliates more effectively and in topics that reflect the activities of ACB. We are rolling out our new database management system. We're going to be uh, telling folks about that. Uh, we're going to be dealing with student retention. We've got an, an advocacy initiative that we're going to talk about to bring in a cadre of volunteer advocates around the country because the ACB office gets uh, a number of phone calls asking for help. And our staff just isn't large enough to do that, but we think we have enough knowledgeable folks in various subject areas around the country that we can provide that kind of assistance. So we have a whole range of issues, fundraising, we're going to be talking about affiliate relations, how to go out and interest corporations in their states or in their local communities, bringing them in to sponsor a convention, assist with grants and whatever. This is as diverse a list of topics as I think we've had in the time I've been putting President's meetings together. As we close, Mr. President, we have just enough time for the burning question that is on everyone's lips. Did your wife Donna get her coveted elephant ride? Interestingly, the elephant rides are not permitted any longer in Bangkok. So Donna and Brian and Kim Charlson and a couple other folks ventured to a village outside of Bangkok. While they didn't have elephant rides, Donna did get a chance to meet a baby elephant and get to pet it, get a look at it. Apparently, the baby took an interest in Brian's hair. Uh, the elephant kept uh, checking Brian's hair out for snacks. But we watch a fair amount of Animal Planet. And I've seen enough of uh, elephant behavior to be pretty glad that she didn't actually ride one. Thank you, Mr. President. We share Donna's disappointment, but we're all glad Mr. Charlson made it home with his hair. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.